This week's episode is brought to you by the NHL, who said, surprise, game tomorrow. Uh, okay, sure, why not? Safe to say this top line is the best in the league. Yeah, we are. As McCarr jumps in, moves it and shoots back. Friday evening, if you're listening right when this drops here in NA. Good afternoon or good morning to everybody else. I'm Steph, it's Burgundy Radio. The Colorado Avalanche are into the second round. Joining me at the crossroad to look back and then ahead. You know them all. It's Earl. Hey, Earl. Hello, friends. It's Jackie. Hey, Jackie. Good evening. And it's the voice of Vlad. Welcome back, Vlad. Thank you. The Avs lost Game 3 to the Arizona Coyotes, as you may have noticed. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. We, we won't be having any of that. No, thank you. Avs win both games four and five with the full Brazil 7-1 the final of each. Four goals from Nazem Kadri, two from Nathan McKinnon, one each from Matt Nieto, Jonas Donskoy, Cal McCarr, Matt Calvert, Miko Ranton, and Sam Gerard, Nikita Zadorov, and J.T. Comfer, 8-7-7, goal now. They outshot Arizona 66-39 in these two games. Neither game was ever close. And the Coyotes can consider themselves exposed for what they really are. No good at all. Propped up by Darcy Camper's blocker, and only in this because the National Predators turned out to be a giant fraud. Like many of us suspected, not all, many. I- I'm willing to talk about this week a little bit, because it was kind of fun. After a while, beatdowns just get boring. Um, so I kind of thought, let's just put those two games together, because it's pretty much just one long game. Um, so, 14-2, to two, quite a score. I, I it was amazing and, and game two was the the really amazing thing i mean the, the way all right well all right call it game five but game four starting out you you're like okay cool i right, another goal another goal all right this is great um but the way game two started out you're just like this is gonna happen again um you know i think all of us in in the discord chat were just kind of like they're gonna brazil again um the the Avs, I, I I think they needed a game like being just totally twisted by Kemper um, to come back and just get angry about it and say we're we're just not going to let this happen again. And they changed some things on the power play that worked really well, and, and you know we'll we'll go into that in depth later. But um, everything worked. And it was just amazing to watch. Well, we had said on last week's show about how they needed to take control offensively. And yeah, that thanks. The message received, right? <laughs> That's what they did. It's pretty difficult to get a Brazil and then to get two back to back in playoffs, regardless of who you're playing, is it, it pretty never remarkable. happened before. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Yep, first time in the Stanley Cup playoffs that has actually happened. And then what really kicked it off, I believe, was the Nieto goal, which that was just a total magic bullshit goal. That was and exactly as planned. What they needed. That's exactly what they needed to planned. break the dam. He came in and he said, I'm going to fake line. the shot, miss it with the stick, and it'll just go in off the boot. It'll be wonderful. Completely calculated. It was one of those when you're seeing it happen, you're like, oh, no, they're overplaying this. Because you can feel that moment when the shot's supposed to happen. Or when when they're as open as they're going to get. 
And then when they pass it up, I just always like, ah, but then, hey, the puck bounces off something and it works. So that's all they needed to really open the floodgates. And then Kadri, of course, had huge influence (laughs) on how this series went. We're going to get to Nazem Kadri. Absolutely, for sure. But it was good. It was good after them working through, kind of grinding through it a little bit to have that payoff and to be able to really put an exclamation point on the series. I want to jump and in. Vlad, I wanted to... I want to, I want to jump in real fast and probably lead into Vlad with a similar question to to where Earl is at here. I'm my little intro to the section is a little bit unfair to the Arizona Coyotes, like Colorado, these last two games, like Earl said, everything worked. We saw this team at its maximum power for two hours. And if you are not a cup favorite, good luck. So, I mean, at, at some point, Arizona is just like, I mean, we we know who we are. We're a, a team who's okay. And we have, what are you going to do against this? Colorado are just really, really good. The last time I was on, I, I had said abs in six, and then it became five. But looking at the way the the Coyotes attempted to defend against the sheer magnitude of skill that is on the Avalanche's roster, it really was just, you really think it's going to be Kemper that's going to find a way to get you past them? And Taylor Hall? Well... Neither of those things happened. So it was clear, even after the the third game, that the Coyotes stole, that literally stole. I mean, they had, what, 51 shots on goal in game game three? Something like that. It it started with a five. We know that for sure. We we knew that was that was not repeatable, and it well, look at the last two games. It definitely was not happening again. So, with with the with from the Coyotes' perspective, is just you, you just have no no real answer. And even Rick Tockett said as much in his post game comments that there was no answer for the McKinnon line at all. So even with guys that he said were playing hurt, he didn't elaborate, but. There, even a fully healthy squad, which you should have been coming in anyway, there was just it was just not going to happen. Well, I, we knew that game two was probably the Avs' worst game, so I think that's what gave us a little pause after game three, which was even though the Avs played well enough to win that game and they didn't, it, it was really going to come down to how game four turned out. That was really the the pivotal game because they needed to play well and they needed to score, and obviously that happened. But if Arizona could have replicated something like a game two in game four and even the series, we could be talking about completely different series. So I guess my question to you, Vlad, is since you're more familiar with Arizona than us, like were you surprised at all at their difficulties on offense? Because we knew the Avs offense was going to break through eventually. That it it was that was the story. It was the Avs offense against Arizona's defensive structure. But 
I think what really turned this for the abs was them shutting down any offense that Arizona had. So do you have any feelings on that? Like, was there any sort of offense that Arizona was missing that maybe you expected or, or not at all? I was expecting more than than to be completely outscored by Nazem Kadri by him, by himself for about half the series. But yeah, the, the Coyotes had troubles scoring throughout the regular season. Connor Garland was the only one that even broke 20. Carl Soderberg had 17, but Hall, he what had a goal. Phil Kessel was nowhere to be seen. Uh, Keller, I think, had maybe two points. I mean, come on, guys. This is uh, not only is it the Stanley Cup playoffs, and sure, you got a nice little lift after uh, getting in after you know the playing round, but you you got to be able to score. And just the fact that they could not get anything going is a a testament to how strongly the Avs played against. Rick Tockett's system and eventually broke it. So full marks to Bednar and company for making that happen. And two, there were just no adjustments in the Coyotes scheme. And after they, they pulled uh, Kemper in the full on first Brazil and just lit up uh, on Toronto, you just, you just had that feeling of inevitability whether it's, yes, the inevitability the Avs, of course, are going to make short work of the series, or on the other side, the inevitability that you'll have no answer. There's no counter. They were missing their top scorer, Nick Schmaltz. Um, and, you know, that's tough. Um, they have a reputation for creating shorthanded goals, especially Grabner. I mean, that's, you know, that's sort of his thing, you know, and it, with the Avs power play foibles. And then granted the, the Avs power play has been frustrating all year, but it's been a while since they've been kind of known for letting up shorthanded goals. And I'm glad they didn't fall back into that. You know, they didn't, they didn't let Arizona sort of get some free scores that way. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, Vlad is <clears throat> since you watched uh, Kemper throughout the national series, Game three was obviously the pinnacle of the postseason for him. And, but it, it just seemed like he gave it all in that game. And it, it looked like to me that he just wasn't as sharp after. And, you know, it, it goes back to what you were saying about not being able to replicate that. But um, did you notice sort of something about his play or, or his demeanor that, that said that, you know, that was as good as it gets, gentlemen. It, it's on you now. Not necessarily about his demeanor. I mean, if if I could, you know, you know, peer into you know the brainwaves. Since he played both games, two and three, that workload is just—it yeah. has to be just inconceivable to go through game two the way that the the Coyotes played that game and still lost, and then to just ratchet that up even higher for game three yeah i and, do also and, yeah. feel like it, it's not necessarily the back-to-back -back that gets guys it's after the back-to-back -back 
So I could see that there's only so much he could do in games four and five. For me, what I'll always remember about the series is when Kadri scored that breakaway in game five and Kemper just turned around and smashed his stick against yeah. the goal. That that was pretty much when they were done. That was such a demonstrative moment that I think that really sealed it. That that yeah, was I mean, really the was the point. Yeah. It really was the only demonstrable show of emotion that the Coyotes had outside of the fact that uh, Nate McKinnon, you know, just decided to, you know, maul uh, after the, the hit on the car yeah. on the board. <laughs> yeah, that was a that, hell of that a was... play. Yeah, that too. That that was uh, an interesting moment that I do think will also live on. It's uh, it shows McKinnon's just crazy competitive fire but also a nice it was a nice moment where the result was nobody got hurt it wasn't a big to do there was no suspensions nothing but you like to see that moments like that that have no consequences but it shows a lot to the team that your superstar cares that much Oh, if uh, I mean, I think he's scared the living shit out of Fisher too. He's scared was on the ice and Matt. Yeah, um, you know that that just that was a an entirely unpleasant moment for him, I think. But yeah, I think those were good shenanigans, and the fact that you know, I, I think you're right. The fact that it wasn't like fighting majors, it wasn't. It, nobody got thrown out of the game or anything like that. It was just a couple of roughing minors, and, and you know. That that's that's kind of how the the game ended. Um, you know, that, that's, the, that's a look on, good way to do that, right? And, and the look on Christian Fisher's face, which is what I was watching through the multiple replays, is just <laughs> there was just a look uh, like he has he's watching a slow motion train wreck of himself from the outside. <laughs> he has left his body. And it's like, quote unquote, enjoying the show. <laughs> yeah. That's gonna be another great highlight when McKinnon wins the Lady Bang. Yeah. So here's the thing: I, there are a lot of people that like refuse to ever read Greg Wyshynski for some reason. Um, he's he's got a, a pretty decent piece out this week, late this week, on Nathan McKinnon, making an argument for yeah. him being a top one player in the National Hockey League. Um, and, and one of the angles that he takes in, in this article is McKinnon's physicality and sheer will to just go out there and do things and dare you to stop him. Um, he calls back the old story of Nathan McKinnon trying to get Kevin Bieksa to teach him to fight at, I think it was 2014 World Championships. And Bex is like, dude, you're, you're Nathan McKinnon. You don't have to do that. And Nate's like, uh, I'm defending myself. Thank you very much. And it's just it's just kind of comes from there. And there's another angle, of course, is what's one that Bednar has talked about in, in some of his pressers as we've gotten into this postseason is McKinnon working on his defensive game. But that's not my point. My point is there's been a lot of criticism of Colorado's team makeup and individual players both as being, you know, in recent years, being soft, being easy to play against. And there have there are three or four plays I can think of within a couple of seconds from just this series that completely throw that out of the water. Like, 
McKinnon ragdolling a dude. McKinnon reverse hitting somebody. McCarr reverse hitting somebody. Coyotes being timid about entering the zone on Nikita Zadorov's wing. Like, this is not an easy team to play against anymore. And the funny thing is, is that after they lost game three, it started to come up. You saw some people mention they lean a little bit more to finesse and to physicality, but it is something that I've said for years also is that you need some of that physicality. But like you mentioned, they do play physical that doesn't necessarily have to be Calgary trying to maul everybody style. Like there's different, there's a range of physicality. And like you said, knowing when to hit at the right time, knowing when to get into those scrums at the right time, that is a measure of physicality. It doesn't have to always just be like the goon index. It's, it's how it's how tough you play, and Bednar wants them to play, be hard to play against the battles, the compete level. That's all part of it too. They'll never be a net front team. They're never going to be a a scramble and and intimidate that way kind of team. But yes, they absolutely can be physical and still be a finesse team, and they have showed that. Well, and and also I think this goes back to remember when we were complaining about Landy taking too many penalties back in the. Uh, round robin phase we um, uh, that, think, that was me and a lot of people telling me don't worry about it i well i said don't worry about it but I, I i do think that was setting the tone for later on and you know if if you want to create a narrative like i'm doing right now um you know that was that was kind of where it started um and and i do you know i, I think that the abs need to play with a little bit of edge like that um, and it's not just having Z smash people or, or Belmar or Calvert getting involved and things like that. It, it does take the guys higher in the lineup, you know, being a little edgy. Um, you know, people laugh at, at Sam Gerard being physical, but Sam's, you know, he's, he's very physical for a guy his size. Um, it's a leverage he guy. plays with an edge. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I, I think the Avs sort of don't deserve that reputation as much as people think. I mean, you, you look at the way they score and you look at the highlights and, yeah, they're not killing people and they're not, they're not injuring people for the season as much anymore. So it's, it's, it's a little hard if you don't watch the whole game to see what the complete package is. I do think they took a few too many penalties in this series. It didn't matter. I think Arizona only got two garbage time power. Some play of that's goals. on the ref. <laughs> the officiating was less than random, and Arizona's power play looked rather dreadful. So, but in the next round and hopefully further, they're going to have to clean that up a little. It. I mean, some. Yeah, some of it they will. Some of it will not be called anymore because that's just <laughs> the way officiating goes in the playoffs. We hope. Yeah, we hope. Uh, yeah. And then you look at some of the penalties that Arizona took. I think it was in game two when they had some really bad ones early, you know, like too many men on the ice, puck over glass, that kind of stuff. And do do like... you still mean game five when you say game two? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> second, <laughs> second Brazil. So, there you go. I've got like four working titles right now, just so you all know. <laughs> <laughs> this may be game two part two this may be second brazil 
this may be good shenanigans. And this may be... <laughs> what was the other one? I forgot the other one already. It must not have been any good. The horror. <laughs> um, but That's what I would call it. The, the refs had to call those kind of penalties. Like, when you have too many men on the ice, uh, unless you're just making it up, um, like in the Islanders game the other night, um, that's a real penalty that they, they you know, they kind of have to call. And generally, to even out, they're going to be calling something on the abs to offset that slightly, even though the, the penalties were fairly uneven in this series. Um, you know, refs generally try to make it sort of even. Um, so it's like when, when you're as a team and you're behind and you're taking things like puck over, over glass and too many men, um, the abs are going to, they're going to end up getting some soft calls because of that. And that, that sucks, but I, I'm not sure that's all on that. Yeah. Some of it's just the silly way of that refs feel like they have to keep things even at all times. Right. It's very obnoxious. It's game management. It's not even game management. Yeah. <laughs> I was surprised in game five that the, the Avs got so many of those power plays in a row before Arizona. Right. Before Arizona I think it was that one. That was yeah, immediately. Think... It, was like, it was like the Coyotes came out and just like, let's see how many times we can shoot ourselves in the foot. Okay. Puck over the glass. Check. Uh, easy breakaway from Nazem Kadri. Check. Uh, too many men on the ice. Check. It's like, it's like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you yeah. could just have not shown up to the rink. That might have been easier. Yeah. And I hate that... The Pierre's score would have been lower, though. Not... Yeah. We wouldn't have gotten <laughs> two Brazils in that case. Um, Pierre Maguire's narrative has been, like, once teams get kind of down, they're they're just kind of like, all right, we're out of the bubble and we're not trying anymore. And I, I really don't see that. Like, that might have happened in round zero to a couple teams. Like, you know, round zero, I think teams facing elimination were one and eight. Um, it's been a little bit better during this round, um, but you know it's like you have a lot of uneven series. So I think you're gonna have some blowouts. I I don't think that Arizona was really throwing in the towel until you know kind of late in both of the the Brazils. It was it it's kind of funny. I noticed it. It was, it was kind of funny Sorry. how done both teams were at the end of Game Five. Like they're both just like, let's just get out of here. Yeah, that that game was such garbage time. It's... It's like, all right, the whole second half of that game. Right, but you, I think you got do... your seven. We gave you your one. Let's all get out of here so we can go play Mario Kart. <laughs> I think it is an interesting thing to think about, though, because of the we we've watched now three weeks of this, and there does seem to be sort of a cap on momentum from the team behind. And I I don't know is that maybe where they're missing that home. When you know that you're behind, but you you could always get say that game six or that game seven at home, that seems yeah. to, to give a, a team a second wind, and it it feels like we haven't seen that because only one of the round zero went to game five. We're looking at maybe maybe one may, or even no game sevens, which is a little surprising in the in the yeah. playoffs. I feel like we see more game sevens than we really should in a regular playoff year, so. I think that is something to consider. And I don't think it's just quitting or everyone's sitting around thinking that, well, let's just pack it in. I'd rather go home anyway. But there does seem to be – it's harder to grind through, I think. Yeah, I I think someone's going to be able to tear down these playoffs uh, in the coming months and and just sort of – I don't know if you can quantify it, but – 
give us an idea of how much home crowds matter. Um, and, you know, Bednar always says how much the Avs at the Pepsi Center, all the fans really, you know, jack them up and stuff like that. And, yeah, that's good PR. But I, I, I think it rings true as far as what the guys feel on the ice. Um, you know, gives them a killer mentality if they're in front or, or uh, ability to come back if they're f- behind and things like that. And it's just, we don't have that during these playoffs. So the, it seems like they might be a little more predictable than. I mean, and I also so... feel that, I mean, all the words about the fans, they don't care about the fans that much. I mean, let's get real. They love the fans. <laughs> they care about <laughs> winning hockey games. games. I mean, if the fans help you win hockey games, then there you go. And and but it will right, be well, an interesting let's... case study to see exactly where does it help. Yeah, there. I saw a stat so come up let's... early in the first round that the normal home road split is you know the home wins this much percent, and at that point it was fifty yeah. fifty. So I All right. So, so let, let's look at this. So in game four. To start the third period, the Avs had a 4-1 lead. Uh, Jacob Chikrin just scored the, the the only goal of the game for the Coyotes on the power play in that second period. Kemper is pulled. Rontev starts the third period. If this were a normal playoff series, non-bubble format, this game would be playing be played out right now in, well, in game four time at Gila River in Arizona. So they would have the home crowd at their at their d- disposal, if you will. The wind so at the they sails. would be there to... Yeah. So you have that to start your third period to start rallying, you know, the a potential comeback at that point. The game is not completely out of reach at 4-1. The three-goal lead is never safe, is what they say, right? But here we are in the bubble format. Seconds, 19 of them, to start the third period. Kale McCarr gets a breakaway, puts it back, hit past uh, Auntie Ranta, and that's game the coyotes look completely different afterwards and then they give up another yeah. grade a chance that goes in the net and talkett has to burn his time out to just say look g- gentlemen this is not how we treat our backup goaltender <laughs> have some respect yeah yeah you don't need to be an ace of lip reading to see what he was saying on the bench he <laughs> <laughs> may have been talking about his uh monday to friday plane we do need to appreciate that McCarr goal because the fact that a defenseman scored that goal is really mind-blowing if you think about it. We're used to it, but that is what makes McCarr special. That he's able to I mean there's so many reasons why he's special, but the fact that he's able to do that and in the playoffs and just completely create a moment out of nothing is why this this guy is so electric. Yeah, I, I do think that was another one of the turning points of the series, just because, I mean, Vlad's right. That is, you know, it, it is a dangerous lead. I mean, I don't think the Coyotes were going to come back, but, I, you know, I don't think they were going to collapse like that either. I, I don't think they would have if they had been at home. Um, but that goal was such a dagger. Um, 19 seconds in, you pull the goalie to get your guys jacked up, and, and before they even have a chance to complete a shift, they're just like, okay. i I gotta tell you i mean this series was so weird for me to watch because i saw that and i was like here he goes and i was like yes and the other part of me was like crap (laughs) there were a lot there were a lot of yes 
crap moments in those last two games for me. We just won the series. We just lost the series about 20 times. <laughs> yeah. So, I, so talk about that a little bit, because I don't think a lot of hockey fans have strong second teams. Um, we, we have very strong primary allegiances. And then maybe a couple of other teams that we think are okay. Um, so, so what's that like having a, a a team that you follow very closely, like Arizona, come up against your your you know your your main here, and just punch each other in the face for a while? It's a very uh, special feeling, especially when you get fourteen that you hang on your opponent who you also happen to adore. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> It's it's not quite the, why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? <laughs> Was there because a... after a while, you you start going numb, and you, you just kind of shrug, and you accept what's coming to you. <laughs> but isn't there relief in knowing you'd be happy either way? That you know you're oh, going to be watching a team that you enjoy in the second round regardless? Absolutely. And, for the, and, and especially for this market that has been just... Um, pilloried constantly because of its location and of course all of the other shenanigans that have befallen that franchise any morsel of success I will eat it up and eat it up constantly so the fact that they were part of the playoff bubble play in I was I was psyched the fact that they beat Nashville and sent Matt Duchesne yet to another long vacation was great I was hoping it wouldn't be this matchup, and then it was. And every time it's this matchup in the regular season, I tell everybody, and I got this question in the Discord, how, how are you going to handle this? And I said, I'll handle it the same way that I handle it every time. I want a good game. I was robbed of a few good games <laughs> from the Coyotes' perspective, but I, I saw some fantastic-ass hockey, and it was, it, it was clinical. And it was murderous at the same time. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> it, I'm glad to see that the Coyotes got in. They, they, you know, they had just as much of an opportunity to be a part of the the playoffs as the other playing teams did. They made they made their shot. They got in, and unfortunately, them's the breaks. You get one of the powerhouses in the West, and you're gonna, you know, maybe not expect to find yourself on this bad of a five game series. But you got in, there are lessons to be learned from it, and I don't know if it's going to be this roster in this form for Arizona, but at least a few of those guys will be able to look at this and say, let's not do that again. Let's try <laughs> something new. Yeah. Whether that's a new coach, or whether it's a different cast of characters, modified or completely different. But on the whole... I am, I'm proud of that the Coyotes made it in, and I'm really stunned that Game 3 turned out the way it did, because I thought, it's going to burst. It's going to burst. And it never did. I'm like, oh, okay. And I can't, def I can't fault the ass for playing a monster game. So I was like, you know what? I had my one really good game for both teams, and the four were just... <laughs> Again, cl clinical and. <laughs> the four were just yeah. awkward pause. 
Well, it might yeah. happen more <laughs> in the future because uh, with Arizona moving to the division. Yeah. After Seattle. Yeah, I mean, Seattle's going to kick him to the central. Well, I, I think the Avs learned a lot from the series versus Nashville the first year that they made the playoffs um, after the season that shan't be named. Um, they played, you know, they played tough against Nashville and, you know, they pushed them one more game than Arizona pushed the abs, but they, you know, that, that sets up what we're watching now. Um, you know, that was just the beginning and, and, it, it's sort of fun to look at teams like perhaps Arizona, uh, hopefully Montreal, um, you know, some of the teams that were sort of lucky to get in and, and made the most of it, you know, taking what they can from this experience and, and building on it next year. I think it's huge for me. I think playoff experience as a team, as a unit is so important that yeah. you do need to build on it. And then the abs have been building for three years to get here it's just it's so hard when you haven't been to the playoffs as, as a group and um and and you're right it, it's something that all these young teams can build off of they can consistently make the playoffs it's it's all part of the process and they, they know they have a goalie they can rely on in Kemper and of course they've got a lot of questions to to answer uh, you know We've got some free agency questions coming up. Of course, the the big one, the one that everybody's going to be asking is, you know, what do you do about signing Carl Soderberg? (laughs) Big old Carl. (laughs) Big Carl. He's a good guy. I like that it doesn't matter what team he's on. Mosier is still calling him big old Carl. I'm not not Mark Mosier's biggest fan. I like that touch. When when players leave, And that's something that actually would be adapted in the Arizona uh, broadcast, too. They started doing that too. <laughs> really? oh. <laughs> That's good. Carl does deserve success. I hope he finds a another deal in the off season somewhere, wherever that may be. But I guess this is maybe where would be fair within this context to say that we were watching a one Taylor Hall and someone that the Avs fan base is very interested in talking about and. I know that we are not in off-season mode. We're looking forward to hopefully many more Avalanche games. But I think since we just saw five games of Taylor Hall up close and personal, it is something that we should maybe reflect a little bit on. Do you, do you, should Avs fans want him? Should, should the, the Avs make a play to sign him? Is, is there any interest there or how do we feel he played in this series none of the coyotes played especially well and he was definitely one of them i think he played okay um you know i'm not a big fan i don't think the abs need him um you know it it, for a team like the abs adding an expensive winger on top of what uh, what they've already got it just doesn't make any sense either financially or, or really even on the ice um you know, it it didn't really change my opinion of him much. It it's kind of it. it I, I feel bad for him just because he's never been on a good team, and so someone like me that that looks at good guy and a bad team a lot, I'm always gonna I'm always gonna throw that on on a guy like Taylor Hall. Is like, all right, 
you know, you, you put up MVP type seasons and your teams never make the playoffs or if they do, it's, it's one and out. Um, you know, what, what are you going to give a team like the Avs? And it just doesn't seem like that the Avs are lacking someone like that right now. Well, there are definitely people who would disagree with you and would say that it doesn't matter whether they're lacking it or not. If it's available, you go get it. I am not going right. to tell you where I come in on that conversation because I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Having seen him play for Arizona and looking at what he was supposed to bring to that franchise and really not seeing him deliver on it and looking at the, the cast that he joined versus the cast that he left, I would have expected, especially when you you have some cons- considerably better, and that's a subjective term, scoring talent on Arizona than you did in New Jersey, that there would be a marked uptick in production and it wasn't there. So that bothers me specifically going from an Arizona roster in in actual game situations to in theory a loaded avalanche roster so they can't all just uh, i think the way i want to say that is how is everybody going to get you know their their ice time and who's going to take the shots they're all going to you know want to have their their cake and eat it too on this roster so where does he fit and how i don't i don't know but it's not something that I think is a fit at this juncture for this roster. So where I, I think, fall on... Here, go ahead. I, I think there's an interesting contrast between Taylor Hall's situation and Nazem Kadri's situation, just because um, Hall is a guy that would have to sort of take a, a bit of a backseat to come to the Avs, and people are okay with that. And I'm not... <clears throat> You know, I, I don't know his personality, whether he'd be okay with that or not. But I would much rather uh, take a highly competitive guy like Nazem Kadri, who is shifted down to the third line in, in Toronto. And, and, you know, he, he comes to the Avs and has the effect that he has so far. Um, that, to me, is a, a much better situation to look at um, than, than taking a guy that that's sort of a best guy on a on a bad team and bring him into the abs where he'd be just another guy and would we just be repeating the conversation we're already having about Andre Burkowski I would <laughs> say no I would expect a lot more than what Burakovsky can do I Burakovsky is not a consistent top six player it's great when he is but when he's not that's when he plays 11 minutes a night and it happened in this series. It happened more than once. So I think that's an interesting comparison. So where I fall on this is I agree that when a guy wins the MVP, the bar is high. You expect to see someone that is dragging their team in some fashion. And I think, think we saw he's not that player which is just heartbreaking because that was McKinnon's heart trophy to win that year and he didn't but I'm actually a lot more positive on the thought of adding Hall than both of you which I know probably surprises our listeners quite a bit but <laughs> um, 
he would fit on that top line. He would take Landeskog's spot, and it could free up Landeskog to play with Kadri, which is something that you very high on, Earl. So that could be a solution there, but it, it has to come on the Avs' terms. If if Hall wants a long-term deal, nope. if Hall wants a lot of money, it's not happening. What I've advocated for is a three-year... So you're okay with Taylor Hall taking touches away from McKinnon and Rantanen? He wouldn't. He'd be on that line. He's well, not I taking mean, it away from them. You're on a line together. I mean, you can't all three have the puck at once, you know? So if he has the puck, they don't. I mean, three good players playing together isn't a problem. I I think so, it is. I, I mean, I think there's evidence that when Landy plays with Miko and Mac that he's he's less of a player. Because right, so he, we, he doesn't we're get the touches he needs. Another, another line more often than not now. Like, okay, this is also the way I look at it. The Avs are going to sign somebody this offseason. I will be flabbergasted if they sign zero forward. They are going to sign somebody. It could be Nemestikov again. It could be another tweener. It could be somebody. So if they're going to add one player, add a really high-end player. Because it's going to happen. Why they're going to add another somebody. player like Nazem Kadri. Because you had to trade assets for him. That's one I'm just problem. saying, someone in, someone in that situation. But you're not going to find been... someone that good just on the market. Well, like... They found Nas. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't free. <laughs> you're you're all missing the only... Was it free? You're all missing the obvious fit for the Avalanche and free agency. Checks all their boxes. Braden Holby. And scene. <laughs> <laughs> Did Keishla write that article again? <laughs> I noticed he was on one of JB's pressers this week. <laughs> I mean, we could so just, really just pick up the wash, the former Washington goaltender trifecta. So just to finish my thought on Hall, I'd say a three-year deal before McKinnon gets paid. You can tell him the cap, wait out the flat cap, wait. Play on a good team for three years. If he's not interested in that, I'm not bending over backwards to sign him. But I think they're going to add a forward. This might be the, the time to actually cash in on a top-end player that you don't have to make a big commitment to. As somebody that had a front-row seat to see what the Avalanche can do, this could be your time to get somebody like that. And All right. And this is another thing. All right, people are betting on the fact that he's going to, A, take less money or term to come play with the Avs. I mean, if he doesn't, I'd, then good for him. He can find it somewhere else. I mean, I'm not worried. I know. I'm just saying that that's, <laughs> that, that is the main assumption people are making. Like, oh, he'll take $5 million for two years to play with the Avs. I, he does I'm... keep saying that. He Ooh, said that yeah. today in his exit presser. Yes, other teams have exit media, by the way, just in case we didn't know. Just not um, ours. So he said that today, Friedman said it multiple times, but sure, you can say it all you want until it happens, but right. hey, if he doesn't, I don't, it doesn't bother me. And also, then... Mac was really cold to him in the handshake line, so he's out. Kidding, <laughs> 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 will get that text number. That's where he does his work. All right, good segment. No, Mac if was cold. Paul does sign here. <laughs> If Hall does sign here, and for some wizardry happens, they keep they keep Nemesnikov, or they add they add some other name, insert name here. If the, if this turns out to be the twenty 
the decades of 2020s version of the Avs signing Paul Korea and Timu Solani, and it has the exact same result, I'm going to be livid. Yeah. So because that was you, their whole premise, right? If you're if you're so, going to say they don't need anyone, then they flat don't need anyone. They do not sign anyone this off season. That's where I'm at. That's okay you know, too. But then you got to live by it. You, you got to stick with fine. it. I think Stinky would would be a more reasonable contract. Um, but whatever, this is an off season. We don't need to talk about it. No, the the guy <laughs> that Earl has been desperate to talk about this entire conversation is Nazem Kadri. Um, yeah, he's good. And and if we can roll it back just a little bit to when we were talking earlier about the Avs being difficult to play against, which is a a sort of new identity for this team, you can point directly to the addition of Nazem Kadri for why that's able to happen in the top six. And that's not a new argument. It's not a particularly interesting one. What's interesting to me is how many different ways he's found to score goals in this series. Yeah, I would say that. I I think he's a little bit less sandpaper than I would have expected. But thank God he knows how to put a rebound into the net. I mean, that that's just huge. That's something the Avs have needed for so long. And well, all those funny. goals he scored were huge. Yeah. Um, I wrote an article, I can't remember if it was last summer or the summer before, about how awful the, the Avs power play was and how awful their PK was and how their special teams were dragging them down. <clears throat> One of the examples I used was a game against Toronto uh, where they gave up three power play goals in a period. And it was after that, and I think this was before last year's playoffs. It was, yeah. Um, and Kadri was one of the guys on Toronto that scored. And it, it was from the center bumper position where he scored a couple of goals on the power play during this series. Um, and it's just, it's great to see that. I don't, I don't know if this is sort of Bednarf fitting the facts to what's happening, but it, th he says this is something that Ray Bennett has been trying to get the guys to do a lot is, you know, having Landy and Miko down below the goal line and shooting it out to a guy in the bumper position. And, you know, there we go. Score. Um, but that is I... not something we have seen this year much at all. And it works so good. I mean, Kemper was so on it, and it still just killed him. I mean, that play is indefensible. You can try. I think what was huge for this power play was because it was a series, then Bednar and Bennett were willing to scheme the power play to their opponent. I understand they can't do that in the regular season because you're seeing a team for one game and moving on, but I think it was part of that adaptability that we bang our heads against the wall through the regular season is what we were asking for. And we saw that in the power play in this series. Like when they start moving McKinnon over to the right side and you see that almost all the goals on Kemper were scored on the right side, they, they were getting somewhere with that. And that is, I think. But is a huge part need. of that because it's, it, they've had like Carl Soderberg there. They've had JT Comfer there. Colin Wilson, you know, they've, they've had a bunch of guys in the middle 
to try and do that before and it hasn't but that wasn't anything new i mean cadre was around i know that the narrative out there is the power play didn't work this year because of all the injuries and i think that's part of it but that certainly wasn't all of it and cadre was available for most of those that bad power play stretch I've always said I feel like Miko is the one that elevates the power play because of the way that he can shoot and convert. And he hasn't even really shown that he's on top of it completely at this point. So it, it should have taken until now for it to work with Kadri in that spot is what I'm trying to say. Well, we saw them do yeah, a I, lot of the back PP time was put Gabe Landeskog there and just play the tip game. Like, yeah, that's, that's an angle you can try. It's a real low percentage chance. It is, especially with a team like Arizona that's always going to have three guys in front of the net. Um, it, it, the the thing about Kadri is is that he can create space in front of the net, and that's something that like you know Wilson can kind of do it. Comfort uh, Comfort is okay at finding space, but it's usually he has to move outside of that sort of inner slot position. Um, but Kadri can sit there and. I don't know. It, it just like he beams the defenseman away from him, has space for that microsecond to get the pass and put it in. And I think showing that that actually works to the other guys is going to help a lot as far as the way that they uh, think about it when they're on the ice. I mean, it's huge. They they are not a one strategy power play anymore. I mean, at the beginning of the playoffs, it was just like, well, we'll give McKinnon the one-timer and see if it works, you know, and that if, was... If, oh, well, that, if that doesn't, we'll drift Kale in the car into the high slot and see if that works. Hey, there was one play, I think it was maybe game three, and they were just sitting waiting for that pass. Yeah. It was just like, okay, they, they, they've seen it, it's been in their video meetings, and, and thankfully they came up with something new, but so yes, the power play was huge in this series, but it needs to keep succeeding especially as we get deeper here because it's still critically important in in the playoffs yeah kadri's not going to score every rebound chance for the whole playoff that's that's and that's fine just but knowing he he can is going to make them respect the other guys exactly and it should and if miko ever finds his hands again oh boy (laughs) it, it should show the team but from coaching staff all the way down to every player on the team, that your power play strategy is not clap bomb from 80 feet away. Yeah. It's passes off the pads, and it's passes from the office. And whether that's Kadri there p- putting it back, or JT Comfort, or Gabe Landeskog, or Miko Rantanen shouldn't matter. Or Burakovsky. Like, that, that's a play he can convert if it's got a little bit more distance on the pass. Like... You've got a lot of ver- a variety if you do it that way. Burkowski needs a shot caller every time he passes up a shot, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm generally anti-shot caller, but that one I'll give you. <laughs> you only need to wear it for a little while. They learn. <laughs> it's just a couple of minutes a game. It's fine. And he got better during this series. I, you know, I, I think it was weird. I was looking through all the goals scored during the, the Brazils, and it... You know, Burkowski and Donskoy were helping Kodger. And Earl's I think if Burkowski can, that's the thing. If Burkowski can stay on that second line, that's a much better use of his ability. But he's also got to be able to stay there. 
he really does. And it, Bednar seems to have a pretty quick... I don't know if he has a quick feeling for, for when Burra is not going, or if he just doesn't have any patience for it. And as soon as he sees even a hint, he moves on to something else. It, it could easily be either one. Um, it's definitely at least the second one. It, it could be part of it, but he's... Yeah, he Burakovsky does not have a ton of rope. <laughs> so if... It's it's not always going to be about giving Burakovsky more rope, even though a lot of us would probably think that's the answer. You, you don't have time for rope anymore. You, you, you need to win hockey games right now. And you need Burakovsky to go when you get up against teams that can't actually score goals. Hopefully, Earl will return from his crash soon. Um, I'm here. Okay, you're back. <laughs> Now, what I said was really intelligent, but you all know. <laughs> that happens to me all the time. <laughs> Best point since the last episode, right? Exactly. <laughs> Another difference that I noticed, especially from the back half of Game 3 on, was that the D pairs were not what they had been early in the, season, early in the series. And for one, it was that they shifted a lot. And... I was glad to see them shifting a lot because Arizona needs structure in front of them to have structure that they can play with. And if you give them chaos, what are you going to do with chaos? You're going to get scored on 14 times. Um, yeah. But the the way that the, that the defensive pairs came together in games four and five just seems to be a little bit more effective. Yeah, it was in, in the middle of game three, they moved EJ with Zadorov and Cole with Gerard and... And you're right, they, they tend to shuffle it a lot, but when you saw how it shook out, EJ definitely got the demotion is is how that worked out. And then they kept it the same way for games four and five, which there was so much garbage time. You you can't take a lot from the time on ice there because at that point you're just trying to spread it around and, and get out of the game. But that'll I'm not be sure interesting. That's exactly to... what happened. No, he definitely played less in game three, and that was. I know, I, I know, but I, I think that they, they were really. I think they really hated the way Z and Cole were playing with each no, other. No, I mean, he said that he didn't like uh, how Sam and EJ, how it was going with them in the defensive zone. Well, is why yeah. he there, did there it. were two games inside game three. We talked about this a little bit on the last show, but not a whole lot. There were two games inside game three. There was the game where Colorado just set up shop in front of Darcy Camper and peppered him in the blocker. And there was the game where Phil Kessel and Taylor, Phil Kessel and Taylor Hall just were basically did whatever they wanted against the GJ pairing. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be that, that Z and Cole together is a bad idea because it's not mobile enough and doesn't move the puck well enough. It, I would not argue with you about that, but it could also be that Eric Johnson and Sam Gerrard weren't effective together with the role that they were being asked to play. So it will be interesting to see what they go back to for the Dallas series. If, if they go back to that, because it is sort of their base is EJ and Sam together. I, I know that some people hate it and would never, never want to see it again, but I think it's their base and it's generally what works, but it, the thing is to be able to adapt away from it, which they did. But if that's something that needs to continue or not. Well, what I noticed is they 
they rolled three pairs a lot more evenly once they did that. Whereas they were really, they wanted to play Cole more, but they didn't want to play Z more. Um, and that's, you know, I, I, I think they want to have three, three pairs that they can count on in any situation. And I, I think putting EJ with Zadorov is something that like you put Z back on the left side where he's, I mean, he, He's been a trooper about playing on the right side all year, but he's definitely better on the left side. So you've that, got that going. Cole is pretty much okay on the right side, especially when you're playing with Sam, and he, he's not the one that's going to be transporting the puck. Um, you know, a lot of things about this make a lot of sense. Yeah, well, it's better than EJ Cole. So if, yeah, if this right. is their new <laughs> invention, <laughs> it's better than that. Yeah. And just just to echo a point that um, I've I've seen some of the DNVR crew making uh, the the Avalanche don't necessarily have that true number one defender right now, but th- they may have a lot of guys who can play that two or three type, and so you don't give anybody the workhorse minutes, you just give them all yeah. decent minutes, and it there it does give them a very effective defensive core. If you're gonna say Kale McCarr at me, wait till 2023, no, then say- maybe it'll be true. No, it's Sam. He's the number one D. And and it's it's up to everybody's interpretation what number one is. If your number one D has to be number one power play, if your number one D has to be number one PK, but Sam clearly is the even strength leader on the D core. To me, that is if you're gonna name anyone number one on this team, that's your number one defenseman. Yeah, he definitely plays the most minutes at five v five. and against the yeah. top competition and I, I i've made this point in the discord this week that neither the avs nor vegas really do have that number one guy that plays 30 minutes and i think that's good you know i think it's a lot better if you can have six guys that can roll the whole game um well they all have their i, niche, I think that's right? I, I, mean... I think that's for for you know this day and age that's how you want to build your defense. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I made the case like, all right, if you have a suitor, that's great. You know, when he's on the ice, he can do anything for you. He can play power play, he can kill penalties, he can be your minute muncher at 5v5, but if you lose him, you're screwed. And um, everyone has their niche. Like, Makar is the, the offense catalyst. You have Graves, who's the PK guy. You have Sam, who's the, the even strength puck mover and defender and so they they all fit into what they do best which is i also agree that is part of a modern defense holy crap (laughs) jackie are you still watching this game yeah did you see couturier just about take somebody's head off trying to hit a puck head high (laughs) jesus christ that That was dangerous uh... Yep. Oh, I'm so jealous you guys can watch and talk at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so, Colorado's defense is extremely good without having that extremely good defender, and I think that's going to be a real strength. And Yeah, I mean, the, I, I, they're going to need that against Vegas. Well, know, they got to get through somebody else first. 
Yeah. So let's let's not get too ahead of ourselves on that one. Before we get there, we haven't even mentioned those idiots for yet. <laughs> and that's by design because I don't like them. Let's put a bow on this series and do our stars and scratches. Number one star Hi, that that you uh, that, that is by default yeah. and you're not allowed to say because it's too easy is Nazem Kadri. All right, Mac. Okay. Um, I'm gonna continue giving my star to Grubauer. I was a little tough on him going into this, and I need to recognize he, that he stepped up, and maybe Arizona wasn't the barrage that he's going to potentially see later on, but he he solidified his position, played well, won every game he started in, so kudos to Grubauer. Well, to, to Grubauer and Frank both, I mean, because it, it was only one game for Frank, but look at all five, did, in, in no game... Did Arizona score more than two goals on a goaltender? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm big Frank fan too, so that's fun with me. That's that's pretty good. But Grubauer played eighty percent of those minutes, so we can give it to him. And it's you know, they everyone keeps saying how tough it is when you never see shots as a goaltender, and I imagine that that's the case. It doesn't seem to be you for, for Grubauer though. He's he's not he's not that yeah. guy. No, Simeon yeah, Varlamov might cool. be that guy. Yeah. No, he's very contemplative. You know, he's probably sitting there, you know, doing those voiceovers for the Jägermeister commercials when he's <laughs> when the ads are at the other end and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of time to kill, so. <laughs> Vlad, do you want to add a star to the mix before we move on to the other side? Yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead and give my... Uh, uh, just I'll give my 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 start of coaching. The way that the Avs were coached in this series was just incredible. It was just flat out second to none. You can't get that much better than just being at a full out, other than being a full out, full on sweep. It was just remarkable. Yeah, I could get no, behind that because it seems like every change Bednar made was for the better. So that worked out. And, and he's the master of the game plan. And I was I was kind of worried after the third game just because I was like, it doesn't seem like he's keeping up with the changes because the coyotes were making a little bit of headway offensively that I was kind of worried about, which was stupid, but what are you going to say? The stats said it. I don't know. Um, but yeah, they did real well. And, and I hate Ray Bennett, but the power play, I don't know. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little tougher to find a scratch in a five game series win. Um, but let's let's see what we can do. I don't know. The officials. Like... Yeah. Um, Nuke. I... I think Nuke still earns it. He was probably the worst forward. I think that's I easy mean, to agree fortunately. with. He was given a, a pretty big role and did a whole lot of not much with it. And he's hurt and his, you know, what he does out there well doesn't show up well in stats, so it's it's just not going to translate. But well, the yeah. defensive stats, but he he wasn't that either. Like, yeah, with Nuke, you're never going to expect consistent scoring, but he's got to be consistently excellent defensively, and he wasn't. The problem with being a defensive specialist is what do you do when your team has the puck all game? Hmm, interesting question. He never played. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I mean, I, I think by the end of the series that, that he and Joston Comfer actually they they started clicking a little bit. Um, you know, it was maybe definitely he's a better to get line over... for him than what they started with. 
Yeah, and I, I, I obviously we don't know what's wrong with him physically, but you know maybe that was improving towards the end of the series. Be, uh, I mean, he did sit out the practice today, so I don't know, but um, he did look a lot more engaged offensively in the latter two games once there was more space opened up. So I don't know, but yeah, I. It, it's tough because I, I know we all expected a lot out of him and it, putting him on that second line right off the bat and just saying, you know, he's our guy. That's, you know, that's a lot to put on him. Um, you know, maybe that, that sort of went wrong, what went wrong in Dallas. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think he's a really good third liner and he makes it easy for Jost and Comfort to play their games and, he fits in well with that line and, and they're a more complete line that the coaches can play. And that, that benefits the whole team. It's a little bit tricky to tease this one out because I, I really liked Matt Calvert in the series quite a bit. I thought he was just about as most effective as he's ever going to be for checking, but you can't really say the same very much for PE Belmar, who was mostly not, visible the series he was re he was really bad I mean, he was my scratch last week but um yeah he's tough I, I you know when, when it comes to scratching someone for tomorrow night's game you know i, I don't know what they're gonna do but it, it, if you're looking at a guy that, that that really isn't up to billing that that might be him it's it's got to be it's it's I mean there's only really four options right it's between him and Jost and Nieto and Donskoy depending on how how healthy Donskoy is or how healthy they want to admit Nemestikov is right that too that's yeah. that's really what the 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 premise is here. I think Donnie made a comeback I don't think he's a he threat. was better he definitely was better yeah. and I mean I think Nieto has the the least to give but I. I cannot say that he had the worst mm -mm. series. Yeah. So that no, one's I mean, kind of His tough goal too. was fairly... I mean, he missed so many goals. It was so frustrating. But... <laughs> he missed uh... that one, too. Let's be fair. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, if, if P.E. Belmar gets a little bit of a rest here and there against the Dallas Stars and the Avs win that series, and they, as we expect, they face Vegas in the Western Conference Final... You get rested Belmar yeah. to get his revenge on Vegas once again. That's a win-win-win. The Arizona power play was so iffy that it's tough to say whether he was any good or not. I haven't liked him that much on the power play all year. <laughs> Can so. we scratch the Arizona power play? <laughs> it got scratched in five games. How much more scratching could it possibly get? <laughs> So we're going to talk at some length about the round two matchup with the stupid Dallas Stars. But first, a quick jaunt around the rest of the first round. Uh, we begin in the East, where right now, as we speak, Philadelphia and Montreal are underway in the sixth game. It is uh, to 3-2 in the second, and Philadelphia is getting outshot pretty much 2-1 to one at this point. Um, we just saw Drew Ann take a, a rough ride into the post. So if y'all are watching this, have watched this game and are listening now wondering where we were at, that's there. Um, so, but you know before us whether the Flyers win the series or Game 7 is going to happen on Sunday. So, uh, time travelers, hello to all of you. And uh, <laughs> you know what happened more than us. I don't know how much we want to really say about this series since there may be an outcome. 
I, you know, I'll just reiterate what I said. Be- yeah, I'll re- reiterate what I said before. I, I think that the Habs showed better than any of the lucky losers. And, um, you know, having Suzuki and Kotkaniemi be such huge offensive uh, contributors for them is, is something that's going to help them a lot next year and, and forward. Which plays into Jackie's point from earlier about playoff experience being just super critical. And that a lot of young players have made their mark in this playoffs. And I think Suzuki has at least one goal in this game. So it's Montreal's hanging in there. So I agree that they've put up the best fight. And it's interesting because the rumor was that Montreal was one of the teams that was pretty negative on the return to play. So (laughs) (laughs) maybe Carrie Price was driving that. I don't know. But uh (laughs) Yeah, but no, the they came to play. Came to play, yeah. Half expected yeah, them to lose they... it for Laffy, and they're they are. I think they're the last uh, fraud detector still alive. They are. And I still think Philly's good. If they get through this, I still think they have as good a shot as Boston or Tampa Bay. Yeah, Tampa Bay freed us all from John Tortorella's grabby clutches. 4-1 the Lightning win over Columbus. Every win was a one-goal win, with Game 2 going Columbus's way 3-1. Tampa get their revenge for the sweep. Still no Stamkos, but pretty much as expected, yeah? Maybe not five overtimes, but... That was a redemption win, and it felt good, I'm sure. Um, You'd still like to see a team like Tampa that's as highly touted as they are and and as highly skilled as they, they were during the regular season have a, at least one game where they kind of showed their stuff and, and they, they kind of they, – they didn't. And I know it's really tough against Columbus because Columbus is really good at playing Arizona's game or, or Arizona's not, that, not as good as playing uh, Columbus's game. But, um, you know, you, you wanted to see – a little bit more from them, I think, just to prove that they're kind of the, the class of the East. Yeah, I'm glad you said that every game was a one-goal game because when you hear that this was over in five, you think Columbus didn't really belong there. But I thought they put in such an impressive effort, and especially after they were left for dead when Panarin and Bobrovsky and Duchesne departed them. <laughs> oh, and Dezingle, <laughs> which I still think Dezingle. the Blue Jackets are paying a second-round pick for this year. But probably. Um, <laughs> so I, I think it was just such an effort for them. Like they don't play the most exciting brand of hockey, but they really stick to their identity. I, I enjoy rooting for them for that reason, and and I enjoy their young players, especially Dubois. So I thought it was pretty cool that they played so well. But now we get to see, like you said, can Tampa actually make good on a lot of that skill and hype? So we'll see. They could get Boston, so that we don't know the matchups right now. But if Philly wins, then Tampa meets Boston, which that would be hell of a second round series. Yeah. Unfortunately, I have not been able to watch either of these last two series we talked about just because the schedule for me just was not conducive to really checking in with these scores, but or these series. Glad to painter. What? <laughs> I am a painter. Yes. 
<laughs> so my my question, now that we've discussed these two series of the two, uh, which series would have been the series the series to choose to watch, or were there just both series, or were both series rather uh, uh, enjoyable in their own right? It depends. Would you on what had to pick you, one or the other or both? It depends on what you want out of out of watching hockey. Because um, for me, I watched OT four and five of the Tampa Columbus series just for the spectacle, and that was it. Because I find Tortorella hockey completely unwatchable. I wouldn't pick either of these series. I mean, it it wasn't bad because it was pretty competitive. But I mean, one the series that we haven't talked about yet, I think, was easily the best series in the East. Well, I, don't, is, I don't know that this game we're watching right but, now isn't bad. It's a little bit wacky, no, it's but it's not. not bad. Yeah, I'm a Habs fan, so I, I would always root for this series. But yeah, I would definitely say this one over the other one. But if if you're one of those people who just like watching hockey executed clinically then may- maybe the Columbus effort might be more for you. Um, we, and we may be free from the Jackets, or maybe, or I, I guess I should say. I shouldn't assume everyone has the same problems as me. I may be free from the Jackets, but the Islanders, we still must <laughs> suffer through. They yeah, took down a Washington Capital squad that could, just straight up didn't have it. That was just a terrible hockey series to watch. Yeah, that, that they were on in prime bad. time a couple times, and I'm just like, what have I done to deserve this? Is the only game at eight o'clock. <laughs> what happened to Washington? Is 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 my question? Because that... it it's a really good question. Are they that old? Slow is is yeah. did they peak? Are they on the way down, or can they find a a second wind? It's it's going to be interesting because they looked aged for sure. Oh, and, and I My also wonder whether they're whether they bought into the fact that grit and experience got them those cups rather than skill and youth. Um, you know, I, not that Burkowski was much of a factor in their championship, but you know, you get rid of a guy like that, and you're still, you know, you're keeping up with all the older guys, and, and your your roster's aging, and you're you're not doing as well. Um, yeah, that that's kind of rough look on your GM. I also feel like the Islanders were the worst matchup for them because that was the team that knows how to beat Washington. You have Trotz, you have Varley, all, and the Islanders, they just lock, they, they rely on Varley, they lock it down, they have like three third lines that just clog. Yeah, and the Islanders weren't even the, the Islanders against the Caps. I mean, they were scoring at will at times. I mean, because they, they had their four goals weird. all the time. <laughs> because yeah. they had their two offensive plays. They have bars all the Villiers scores six goals. Like yeah. that's all they needed is those two showed up, scored their goals. There's three third line locked it down. Barley <laughs> took away any prayer of a scoring chance, and that was it. So yeah. in a way, it was kind of easy, even though this was the up the only upset so far. It was. It wasn't hard to see it coming. You like you you saw these teams playing, and you were like, "Yeah, this is definitely going to happen." And it's well, and it's an ent- going out. Yeah, that right away help. did not. Yeah, but it's an entirely different situation. But it's it's kind of similar to the Colorado Calgary series last year, where it's an upset that does not look like an upset. Yeah. And finally, after we said how oh the Bruins won't be able to just turn it on just like that. The Bruins just turn it on and handle Carolina in five. And this is pretty unfortunate for the Hurricanes to me. 
have some bad luck early with with balances and with calls, a double OT loss in the game that was delayed by John Tortorella. And then, of course, after they lost Svechnikov to an awful knee injury, that was pretty well that. Yeah. yeah the, they never had Brett this, Pesci either. This was the match that could have been an Eastern Conference final match. Like, Carolina was way better than a team that was out in five. And, and like you mentioned, they had a lot of unfortunate things to go against. They were in trouble before they lost Svechnikov, but that just, that was pretty much the icing on the cake there. But Carolina's going to be good for a while. So it was good to see another young team like that put up a good fight. And then Boston did wake up just enough. We'll, we'll see if they can keep it going. I A match against Tampa, that. Like I said, that would probably be a really good series. So let's roll back to the West. Uh, Chicago took one more game off the Golden Knights than I expected. Vegas still win in five. I know I said five games and two Brazils on this show, but in, in the bracket challenge, I picked four games. Alas. <laughs> I, I didn't watch any of this series, did you? Yeah, I, I mean, it, 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 it went as you would expect. Like, Chicago has found something with some of those young forwards they they definitely have a an offensive thrust that's beyond just patrick kane blah 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 like there there's something happening there but the, the, the defense and the goal the crawford wasn't that good you're not going to be vegas if you don't have good goaltending so yeah and it, it was at, pretty one-sided <laughs> and you can look at some of the trades that chicago has made recently and you're like Okay, so you've overloaded on forwards and you got rid of some pretty decent defensemen and this is what happens, and so you deserve it. I guess this is where we <laughs> mention that Chicago now has an ex-Avs prospect. They signed Cam Morrison after the Avs declined. Now they're fixed. I don't think any of us are disappointed about that. I, I am were not. a little surprised that he did get an ELC, but that's what pedigree buys sometimes. Yeah. So and good luck. Just to just to reiterate what we went on ad infinitum about on on the two A uh, podcasts. Um, Morrison is a guy who gradually got worse and worse throughout his college career, and the Avs never offered him a contract, so that's a win for us. Allegedly, they did last year, though, which yeah would not have been a win. Happening... That's interesting planning. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Happening later tonight is game six between Vancouver and St. Louis. The Canucks are on match point. The Blues are kind of scrambling to figure out where exactly they packed their goalies when they got on the plane to Edmonton. You may already know if you're a Saturday listener, so hello to your time travelers again. What do y'all think? Do Vancouver get it done tonight? I feel like if any series this entire time in the bubble is a momentum series, it's this one. I, I Vancouver needs to do it tonight. If they go to Game 7, they're not going to win. And they had the lead. St. Louis woke back up, but then they managed to take Game 5, so they're back in the driver's seat. And even momentum change within a game. So if you, if you like that kind of hockey, that's what this series has been. So it's been something we're pretty familiar with. You have skill on one side, experience on the other. Which which one wins? I guess we'll find out. I think Vancouver can get it done, but they've they've got to have like 
gas pedal fully on. They they have to score. They have to get a lead. They just they're not going to grind through and and win this series. They've they've got to do what they do best and and win about as quickly as they can. Didn't the AHL? This is probably the only other who, who never won a game for the Eagles beat this team. Who? <laughs> Our AHL goalie who never who never won a game for the Eagles beat this team. Um, I oh haven't, yeah, I haven't had, that happened. Oh yeah. Um, Our I haven't goalie. had a chance to watch this series yet, and I'm really looking forward to watching it tonight since it's on at a reasonable hour on the East Coast, and I don't have to work tomorrow. So, I, I I'm really curious to see sort of where. You know, I've really looked at St. Louis since the Avs kind of figured them out in January, and um, you know what the, what they did to them in Game One of the the round robin. Um, so I, I'm interested to see sort of what Vancouver is sort of more of a speed skill team is doing to them. Um, so this is an intriguing series I haven't gotten to watch yet, and I'm looking forward to. It's pretty watchable, I gotta say. I think this is one of the few series I've actually been able to watch because it's been on at a decent time when I'm, you know, I guess I'm not painting, but the way that, uh, the, the way that Vancouver has taken advantage of their opportunities has been, I will say that it has been very impressive, especially against the Stanley Cup champions. What has always been the, the Achilles heel for the blues has been their goaltending outside of a six month period last year in the span of 52 years. So the, 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 the fact that Vancouver has emerged. (laughs) Well, we could call it that. I actually, the last time I was on, I was on uh, our show. uh, I called it Vancouver in seven. So, I don't want to say I would be happy to see it go seven, but I would certainly hope, like you said, Jackie, that Vancouver, if they're going to get it done, get it done now. Get it done now. This is their time. St. Louis has already burned through both Jordan Bennington and Jake Allen. (laughs) The, The flaws have not gone away. They have not improved. They've continued to blow leads on defense guys are still sneaking by the st louis defense and credit to vancouver for making the most of those opportunities especially considering you know what may have like you said experience versus skill so and then and we got the power play vancouver has a good power play so that that's a big one there too right and and if you're um, and if you're st louis you're asking yourself and they mentioned this in post game after game five that they've been in this position before and they've they know what they need to do to to win it we've also heard this out of a bunch of other teams that said the same thing and they they packed their bags early so i'm looking forward to seeing st louis pack their bags early and peace on out i i do too there's a lot of sentiment around where it doesn't really matter who wins this series i mean any, hey, anytime St. Louis can go home, I, I'm fine with that. It's, <laughs> I don't. Need In my to mind, they won two more games than they should have. <laughs> I I don't need to see the Avs play them. It's not because I'm scared. It, it, it is a tough match, but at this point, the Avs are more about the Avs than the other team. 
But if they can go home, I'm I'm gonna take it. No yeah, problem question, with that. My question here is, you know, the winner of this series goes on to play Vegas, um, and, and you know, if they do end up beating Vegas, they would they would play the the Avs if they end up winning their series as well. Um, but as far as a, a tough opponent for Vegas, um, which do you see? doing more to Vegas um, or, or perhaps even when, I mean, you know, does that figure into to how you're looking at this at all? I think Not St. Necess- Louis would take more games off Vegas because for them to get there, that would mean their goaltending has to wake up. So they would you know be the blues again, which is an yeah. average team that relies on how good its goaltending is going to be. Um, I would still prefer Vancouver to come out of the series because I would rather watch that series. Yeah. I, I feel like I Vegas and, and St. Louis would probably beat up on each other a little bit more. So, so that would help eventually the abs, hopefully, but in a way, Vancouver's just so it's a different match for Vegas. And, and we haven't They're very seen, unpredictable. Yeah. We haven't seen that. So, in a way, I could see that an upset. And hey, if if the Avs end up say playing Vancouver in a Western Conference final, I'm not apologizing. I'm happy for that. So. <laughs> yeah. And also, if Jim Benning can get out of his own way, Vancouver's not that far from being back to being a good team again. And a series here with with Vegas could set up a really nice little Pacific, you know, kind of little hate fest going on. I think it's interesting how we went from all non-division matches to where it's 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 not set yet, but it's shaking back out to now divisional round two matches, which is I just think about weird stuff like that. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting that it's settled back to that. That's a good observation. I mean, I think to to get my two cents in on that question about the the match. Um, the storyline, I think, which just because I would find this absolutely hilarious, is if St. Louis does pull it out against Vancouver, and they they go to they go play Vegas, that fight between David Perron and Ryan Reeves, who's going to knock each other out? <laughs> I, I hope they beat each other to a pulp. That that's probably definitely the upside of that matchup. And Stephanie is just kill, <laughs> just kill each other. Just leave nothing. Burn the boats, Jackie says. <laughs> yeah. Finally, last night, the stoppable force defeats the movable object. Dallas takes game six <laughs> over the Calgary Flames. After falling behind three to nothing, they score seven unanswered. Cowboys seven, Stampeders three, your final in that one. And, and since both Vancouver and St. Louis are seated lower than the Stars, that means Vegas is lo- locked in to play the winner of that series. In your hometown heroes, the Avalanche get to face the stupid Dallas Stars. We can talk a little bit about that series first, because it was pretty good bad hockey to watch. Do you think Dallas used up all their goals in Game 6? I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I missed a lot of this series, and the the what I what I did see... Um, it didn't look good for Dallas. And then after I, you know, again, I'm going to go back to my painting. But when I came home after doing my painting stuff, and I saw that the, the score of last night's game ended up being what it was, and I could not fathom how 
in creation this was even possible and i saw the highlights and even then i still said how in creation <laughs> is this possible well Vlad, um, you saw the ab series last year i mean it, it, it's it's right there in front of your face it's just it was just such a <laughs> series of mistakes and it, it like for the bulk of it it's just this sloggy kind of slow game between these two but then the mistakes each team would make would just be like these holy crap moments it was hilarious and then that's how that's how dallas came back it was just like it just made one after the other it just snowballed it i I really feel like calgary is the one that blew this but both teams made mistakes to get them to the point they were at it this was just what i call ugly it was just it wasn't ugly in a good way. It was like ugly in a in a unwatchable way. So I with is when we started inching closer to knowing that we would be getting Dallas, I consciously tried not to watch them because like I can only take so much. So I just I at some points I'm like, I know this game's on, but I really do not want to have any impressions of Dallas on my mind. So that's how that went. I definitely agree that it was more of Calgary throwing than Dallas necessarily winning. And I think that would have been true no matter who took the series. Um, it was, it, once again, you can't trust Calgary to do anything. And They're just such a bizarre team. It, they it, are very bizarre. Drow is like irrelevant now. And like Monaghan doesn't really do much. And they've just really embrace this sort of new age goon squad i i don't really get it identity yeah maybe that's it maybe they they decided that he's their franchise star and it just it it makes them more one-dimensional because they do have skill they and so it makes them straddle the middle even more they're just trying to be the sort of not old school goons, but they they don't really have enough together to accomplish something. Because I do think they're talented. But when Sam Bennett is like your goal leader, that should probably tell you something. Like there's, there's definitely a skill gap here, but it would be like if the Avs said, okay, Gabe Landeskog, why don't you sharpen your elbows and stick out your knees and everybody else also play like that? That, and then Dallas I've talked about before is they've just tried to reinvent their style as well. Like they go going to this really slow, defensive, methodical. And I just don't think they have the players for that. It It's kind of the same problem. They've made Ben irrelevant. Like Sagan's okay. And the, their best players are the two puck movers, Heiskanen and Klingberg. But they really don't fit that style. So... In the, in the series against Calgary, Dallas had to open it up. Like, they saw what happened in the round robin. They were almost shut out through two entire games. So they did realize they need to generate a little bit of offense to win in the playoffs. And I think that's when they get back to a little bit more of what they used to be, is is when you see guys like Heisken and making a difference because he's generating offense from the back end rather than just trying to play this this no offense for anybody style. Yeah, Heiskanen yeah, had an really excellent surprising. game five. Like, holy shit. What was it game I, four? I thought One it was really two. surprising that, to look at, at who scored for Dallas. Um, you know, I mean, obviously Heiskanen and 
Klingberg are very good players, but having such a percentage of your offense generated off the back end like that, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I don't know if that's a solid long-term strategy. Um, I, I think in the, you, you need to be able to create goals down low. Um, and maybe those guys are jumping into play. I don't know, but, <clears throat> um, well, they're the ones that, that started just... all this crazy ping-ponging against Calgary. <laughs> like, yeah, it it wasn't necessarily the direct play. It was just what started the craziness. Oh. So, so we'll see what Dallas gives the Avs. Like, they they might have to stick with it because they know. I mean, how do you attack the Avs? Is your conscious strategy to shut down their offense, or is the conscious strategy is you need to, to match them offensively. We can get into I mean, that right now. Go... Do you think Dallas yeah, has I the horses it... for either one? Um, but first of all, I want to note that the correct answer anytime Dallas scores a whole bunch of goals is what? Who could possibly be responsible for such nonsense? Because they only scored 180 in the regular season, which was tied for third least in the league with Columbus Blue Jackets. They scored more than Detroit. Wow. Impressive. They scored more than the <laughs> LA Kings. Holy crap. I can't believe it. I think they got, what, four out of Gurionov in the last game, which they I sure probably wouldn't, wouldn't count on that continuing. Nope. <laughs> so this yeah. is a matchup I believe that in someone... you definitely go before me. And... Sorry, I'm... Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but there was—I think there was a tweet out there last night that was floating around that said that that was the first time all season long that the Stars had scored more than three goals in a game. Really? Okay, that's quite that—that <laughs> that is that's quite a statistic. That doesn't sound like it can possibly be true, so I'm going to check that. Um, I'll say that in the postseason for sure. Well, yeah. Um, what do we have to say about the fact that Colorado could not beat the Dallas Stars in the regular season? That doesn't bother uh, me. And I said it before they played him in the round robin is, well, three of them were one goal games. Two were in overtime. Yeah, it so was a lot of goal age. So I think, I think Avs fans at that point were a little, a little too worried because th- this isn't a team that's historically shut the Avs out. This wasn't like St. Louis beating up on them three years in a row or something like that. Like it was them playing their new style, and it was effective at that point. Also, all the games were by January, so it, just all those games in such a short period of time like that. I don't know. It's and none of them were against Rick Bonus. So that was going to be my question is when yeah. was Jim Montgomery out? So it was we're looking at a completely different, yeah. differently coached team. So it was yeah, we, definitely we played the stars a lot early. So it, it was, it was not after the coaching switch. And it was also not after avalanche players got healthy. Um, th- this was the first time Dallas scored seven all season, but they definitely scored more than three several times. But the point, I think, of the joke is that you had to check. You weren't sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, because they were it. so low scoring. And and like I said, it. I don't think they can choose to fall back into that. They're going to have to play their offense. And they, they do have offensive ability. And this, 
this might be more of a matchup series for the Avs than uh, certainly against Arizona, but maybe some other matches would be because I think where Dallas might find an advantage is with, I, I don't know if it's called their third line or their second line, but, but more the Pavelski, Corey Perry. And I think those are the ones that have the chance to hurt the abs well they took all the old abs killers out of the battle of california (laughs) and put them on one team yeah Yeah, that's Pavelski had his first postseason hat trick during this series so um you know that that's always scary that's Um, hard to believe that that's his first yeah you 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 think he would have had one every single game you played against colorado Uh, i mean the the fact that none of the abs had a hat trick during the arizona series with fairly incredible <laughs> that's true and then <laughs> yeah i guess two brazils and no hat tricks yeah and we know the abs like to go best on best so it's gonna be up to one of those either the cadre or maybe even the nuke jost comfort line they're gonna have to hold the fort on maybe the most dangerous part of dallas that's just, really I, I, where I your depth is going to be tested. I, I think this game, I, I think this series is going to come down to a lot of what we saw in the Arizona series is the Avs are going to kill them in the neutral zone and have the puck a lot. Um, and, you know, that, that might mean that the groupie's not going to see a lot of shots and, you know, that Dallas ends up getting some goals and makes his save percentage look pretty bad or something like that. But, um, I I see the Avs, you know, being able to generate a lot of shots against this team at this point. I'm fine with that. Just because I I I just don't see the Stars being able to defeat the Avs in the neutral zone and, and get into the offensive zone as much as they'd like. Um, I don't think they can just blow through like they they probably did against Calgary and be able to generate. So, oh. What I hear you saying is that there's going to be two more sets of Brazils, and I can actually be happy all the way around. <laughs> yeah. This could be a four Tejas Brazil sweep. <laughs> no, don't put that out there. No, don't put that out there because then I'm, we don't, all should watch tomorrow. Don't put that out there because I'm putting it out there. So 28 4. 28 <laughs> 4. So I think maybe the Avs attacking Dallas's defensemen because I don't I think that's where they could find an advantage because I don't I, think Dallas has the defensemen for how they want to play. So that means that I a mean, big think... key would be Matt Calvert, JT Comfer, and um, does Nazem Kadri lead his forecheck? Who who usually leads a forecheck uh, on that line? Probably Donnie. So th- those the, are going to be way that they... real important players in this series. If you want to yeah. say that Dallas doesn't move the puck out of the back end well, and there's a, your attacking point. Right. And Donsko is a really good four checker. So. And so is Calvert. Uh, yeah. And, so, if, I... and when JT is on, so is he. When he's not, mm-hmm. but when he's on, so is he. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the stars have a lot of good puck moving defensemen and I, I was looking at time on ice. And again, I, I didn't watch the series. I don't know why Johns didn't play much. I, maybe he got hurt. I think again. he's hurt. So I, yeah. I don't know what the story, I think he was definitely unfit. I don't know if it has something to do with the concussions or if he's just actually hurt or what, but no, he's, he's not available. Yeah. Cause 
like when you add him to uh, Lindell and Klingberg and, and Heiskanen, I mean, that's that's really good, you know, top four defense. Um, and they can move the puck really well. I mean, that that's that's tough to forecheck against because those guys are they're really good at finding seam passes and all that. They like cherry picking and whatnot. So that's something the Avs are going to have to watch out for. But I think as far as just trying to skate the puck through the neutral zone, I don't think Dallas is going to be able to do it. I just, yeah, I mean, I, I, they're definitely good puck movers. It's just not to play the New York Islanders defensive style. It's huh. the, the clog everything, suppress everything. That's just, that's not what you use top end puck movers for. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it really depends on what bonus thinks the, you know, the, the winning strategy is going to be. I, you know, I'm sure any any coach looking at the apps right now is just like, oh, fuck. But, um, you know, I, I think trying to outscore the abs is, is kind of a losing bet. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, that just sort of says, like, all right, we're going to have to play tough defense and, and capitalize on a small number of really good chances. I mean, um, if I was going to attack the abs, I still would make it about special teams. I think I think that I mean that's a bad bet in the second round of the playoffs though. <laughs> but I mean it's like you're pretty much you're saying bad. like three times a game you're gonna get a power play. Maybe. Probably more like two. And <clears throat> and the best power plays score one in four ish. Yeah. So You're hoping to win a lot of one oh hockey games. Yeah, and it's like if you're that, looking at the Avs power play from that series, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. If you want to, if you want to look at sports, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, My big so, question of this in this series is going to come down to who's like what's going on in net for Dallas because we've seen a lot of Qdoba. Um, I'm not sure. Like, I, I don't follow Dallas because fuck that team. Like, has Ben Bishop been unfit? Like, what's going on? Is he, no, has he's, he been just, he's just not. The- He's just not the starter. Like, I don't know when it happened, but at some point, Kudobin started playing better. I think he had the best save percentage in the league or something, like a 930 or something absurd like that. They just pretty much figured out he's just, just better he's than Ben Bishop. Better, better guy. And then I think Bishop's been unavailable. I, he It sounds like sort of a nagging, iffy sort of thing to where – he might show up in this series, but he's he's not their starter. Like I, I would not expect. He he's definitely the second option at this point. The so. difficulty with that decision is Ben Bishop has a bullet with an Avalanche logo on it. Yeah. So that's good. So yeah, we we don't need to see Bishop. No. So. But if you, if you hammer too hard on Qdoba, then you might. Right. Yeah. It's. So maybe happen. we don't want four Brazils. <laughs> Maybe we want <laughs> four one five one into an early empty net. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I would picture the first two games of the of the series being fairly low scoring. I, I mean, I I don't think there's a lot that you can take out of film from the Dallas Stars over the season and and develop a game plan. Um, so it's it's going to take the av staff a little while to figure out what works um 
but it, it's I mean it's not going to take that long. <laughs> I could I could see it as a closer series to start, but right, the Avs should be able to to wear them down. Yeah, well, it just it it seems like the, the Avs do have an advantage, you know, once they get film on people, once they are able to develop a strategy as far as what works uh attacking where and when and things like that so <clears throat> that that part doesn't worry me it's i i think in this series what you worried about is magic bullshit you know it's just, yeah you know pavelski scoring two goals early and then them sitting on it and the avs end up losing two to one or something like that EJ even mentioned it today. He said they're expecting a heavier series. And I agree. I, th I think it's good that they're conscious of that because Dallas is going to try to intimidate them more than Arizona could. That's yeah. probably accurate. I mean, Dallas... But, I mean, do if they want to play that kind of game, that's the kind of, guy, that, that's the kind of game you play when you don't have the puck. Yeah. And if Dallas doesn't have the puck much, then... That's fine. They're they're going to be in trouble. So I think y'all's predictions, like for the shape of the series, go to hand in hand very well, um, because you know as time goes by, the more you have the puck, the more you own the neutral zone, the better chances you have of breaking through the the wall of defense. And as we've said many 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 times, um, Bednar, the adjustments in game maybe don't happen, but. Um, when it comes to making like making up what 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 the strategy is going to look like between games like he will make the series look like how he wants his team to play we saw it last year with Calgary we saw it last year with San Jose and we just saw it in games 4 and 5 against Arizona where even though the Coyotes yeah. were trying to show up we saw Colorado playing Colorado hockey you can try but so i think those two go yeah. very well together and one thing, one thing we that we haven't mentioned the speed <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's something that Dallas I don't think is Dallas is get... as slow as some they're not the they're slowest pretty slow I mean they're pretty old and bad so they play quicker than they skate they do but you know it's like Pavelski and Perry being part of your main <laughs> offensive strategy you know that that's that's sort of a, a strike against them right off the bat. Now, once you get set up and you know they're they're able to play static offense, you know that's going to suit them a little bit better. And Pavelski's always going to be dangerous. I mean, I could see Pavelski scoring five goals in this series, and them and still Dallas loses. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so the other thing that we haven't mentioned yet. <laughs> is we're going to see a battle in the draft class with Miro Heiskanen and Kale McCarr, three versus four. It's more of a battle than it should be. What does that I'll mean? I'll put it that way. <laughs> I don't think there's any question. You think it's a, a narrative that we're going to hear too much of? Um. Yeah. I don't think Pierre's this is a national narrative. Oh, I think Pierre, it's more right. of a fan narrative. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think this is one that NBC is going to really dig into. Well, Maybe we'll Pierre's see. Doing the games. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, folks, we're going to hear AJHL. Stop. We're going to hear about Brooks Bandits. And well, sure. They love talking about Makar. We're, <laughs> we're going to hear me say, shut up, Pierre, five times a game. We're going to come up with different <clears throat> things that rhyme with Pierre Maguire every game. Folks, game one will be Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern on all the big channels, including Network NBC. It's a game that was rushed into place. I'm going to give him some pro. What, what we... I'll give Pierre some props though. Uh... He mentioned the new Kane. He mentioned the new Kane and Winter Club in a game that he did with AJ Malesko, who I grew up with, um, where we both skated, and and that's where Max Pacioretty started too. So, and, and Pierre lives in New Canaan, where I grew up too. So, that was nice to hear. Other than that, <laughs> so that's who those shoutouts are for. They're for you. Yeah. Yeah, well, at least they're relevant <laughs> for one person. But no, it's um, I think we're all a little surprised, definitely, that oh hey, there's a game tomorrow, and um, yeah, it's probably because the schedule worked out such that the prime Saturday slot had no games left to play. Zip. And and since, and since we're doing bubble hockey, we can just stick one in there. It's fine. I cannot tell you when game two or game three will be. It seems like we'll probably yep. see a two day break in there though somewhere. So other series yep. can catch up. That probably means the Avs dodge a back-to-back, which is good. Um, so, predictions. Not yeah, that I expect I w- any of you to pick the stars. No. What, one s- thing I I'll wanted s- to ask before we get into predictions. Okay. Um, does starting this series early, is that, you know, does that affect the Avs one way or the other sort of long-term in the playoffs? They've, long-term, they've said- no. They've said a lot about how they're done waiting around and they just want to play. And when a team is yeah, playing yeah. well, they just want to play. So I, I think it's... Well, all right, but what if, all right, what if they sweep the Stars in the Vegas whoever series goes seven? Well, then and, you know, it's a different that, situation. That, 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 that's the yeah. answer. It'll be a different situation. Right now, yeah. does it hurt them long term to play game one early? No. It actually helps them in the short yeah. term because you have Thursday, Friday off. And in, that's a normal... NHL schedule instead of having yeah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, maybe Monday off, and now you're playing a Rust game. And Colorado sucks ass in Rust games. They sure do. I think it was perfect. They got one day to golf. They got one day to have a real practice, and now they're ready to go. I, that, I think it was just what they needed. It, and then you and could they only say, found "Dad, out about." I mean, Bednar said they only <laughs> found out this morning. Yeah, which is maybe um, why they decided to just have a real practice. And yeah, let's just... go ahead and have a real practice since we're starting our next series tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, so but you you could say, well, Dallas obviously has some momentum too. They won a series. They won their last game. They they probably don't want to sit around for a week, but they had one less day off, one less day to to change their mind to what's happening next. So. I I yeah. like that the Avs had one more day, but they're both getting at it, and then no, we'll I, see what I, the I rest mean, of the schedule cool looks like. I think it's cool they're starting. I I think it's cool that they're doing this, starting round two before round one starts, and they've done this a little bit in the past, like very rarely. But, um, you know, I I I, I, I think it's a good idea. I think it's you know, first of all, as a hockey fan, like having no game on Saturday would have been dumb. Um, the Avs are ready. Dallas is there, so and I think after tonight's games, they might be able to schedule some for Sunday if there are no game sevens. So yeah, um, we'll be I, I back. All in this is going to end up. Yeah, I, I think everything's going to end up falling into place pretty quick afterwards. So I, I hope I don't the less think it's... 
as bad of a disadvantage as it might look like. I hope a lesson here is that the, to, to speed it up a little. Like, I get it. It's because they're in a bubble. They can do this. Yeah. These things with no travel. But there is no reason to play every third game when you get into the every third day when you get into the last two rounds of the playoffs. It's just it's maddening. It just play. If you can play, play. And if they can actually get through this whole Stanley Cup earlier than they had planned, that's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, part of the allure of baseball is there's always a game tomorrow, you know, um, you know, being able to play rapid fire like this is it, 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 as a fan, it's really nice to always know like, all right, cool. There's always going to be a game tomorrow. Like if there had been no game on Saturday night, um, I would have been kind of mopey. I do like having a little anxiety break at certain points though. Like it's <laughs> nice to just <laughs> not get wound up for a day, but and another another thing is the the Colorado Arizona series was completely buried from a television perspective. Nobody yeah. saw these games. They were on in the middle of the afternoon. They were on CNBC. They weren't even on they weren't even the main like- game on NBC Sportsnet. It's like so, Tampa and Columbus, too. Didn't yep, want to see I, those teams either. Nope. I think the abs definitely were on, on the bottom of the totem pole for round one. So this is a big opportunity for them to be on NBC tomorrow night, national TV. And maybe those who aren't as aware of American television, it's a huge deal to have hockey on national TV to begin with in the u.s and then for it to be the abs someone that maybe a lot of people think don't have the exposure and the attention that they should this is a huge opportunity for them if they can have some of those moments a mccarr moment a mckinnon moment something that's really building into their identity it it's huge for them as a team a brand et cetera, et cetera, to to be on this stage so it would be yeah, really if you're nice. A hockey neophyte, well. and you see McKinnon play a game. I mean, there there are a lot of people that don't know much about the game. They're going to see Nate, and they're going to be like, "Oh my god!" And then this <clears> is <throat> where the NHL makes their money. Like the national TV games is where the NHL is making their money on all of this. Yep. So both in, this both is their money maker game. <laughs> both contractually in terms of fulfilling their obligations that they already had in place and in terms of getting new maybe not necessarily new fans immediately but new casual interests that can build into new fans yeah so another it's, thing it's to keep in up. mind in this is that the Avs had a marquee outdoor game this year that they Sucked. weren't even oh. really get well <laughs> The game itself was terrible, but the, uh, the 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 fact that they weren't showcased nationally to build up interest for that game wasn't there. So now that we're in games which have way more meaning and can potentially, as Earl alluded to, you know, you can see a player like McKinnon, see a player like McCarr, and get that intrigue, that will do a real service to the exposure for the ads to grow its interest nationwide, not just here in the Denver market. Yeah, I mean, imagine Mr. and Mrs. Average Knucklehead out in the U.S. seeing how tall Miko is. <laughs> I mean, 
oh my god, I didn't know they made people that big. Yeah, this this is like being on Monday Night Football. It's it's big boy time. It's under the lights. It's <laughs> okay, Pierre LeBron. Big well, boy hockey that's time. True. <laughs> yep. So not that I expect any of us to pick the stars. So the prediction question is how many games? I'll say six. I I if think you say yeah. Six, you're a cop. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> I think they're going to be down early and they'll they'll work their way back. Wow. That's okay. a very That's specific a prediction. prediction. I like it because it's so specific. I want to say four, but I'm going to say five. <laughs> five I tend to done. agree with Jackie that it's going to be it's going to be six. I'm going to keep. Any injury talk out of it, because look what happened to Nemesikov in round one when I said there's going to be an injury. So everybody's going to be healthy, but Avs in six. My prediction is the Avs win in four. And the reason for that is, is Dallas a better team than Colorado? No. No, they are not. Did they beat Colorado four times in the regular season? Yes. So... The only way for the season series to end with Colorado having more wins than Dallas is for a sweep to happen. Therefore, book it. 5-4, the series is... score in favor of Colorado. The season that is score. fantastic reasoning. That yes. Perfect logic. There are no flaws in this whatsoever. I will not be taking questions at this time. I'm, I expect to hate the series much, much less. And that's a... Uh, Low bar, but I think it's going to be more frustrating, though. It, more frustrating, maybe, that. but less whatever kind of hockey that defensive shell shit is that we saw for the first two games. We'll see. It's up to Dallas how they want to. They want it started. I hope it's not. I hope it's not up to Dallas. If they want to play that way, I hope that the Avs just say okay and shoot us just at will. And then say, okay, well, we've got one. Now you have to get a goal. What are you going to do? That's my I hope. think that'll happen eventually. Yes. So since yeah, we I don't mean, know... I, go ahead. I, I, I think the, the way the last two games went, and I'm not talking about the Brazils, but the early goals, um, I mean, the, the end result is great. But the fact that they got the early goals was the key to the entire game plan. Um, and if they keep doing that, and I think they can, um, you know, I, I think four or you know, maybe five. Is you got to be able to come from behind too, though. You have to be able to score from so. behind. <laughs> that that's how you win in the playoffs. I mean, they're not just gonna have control of every game. To get behind. Why not? For, for Colorado <laughs> to fall behind, Dallas has to score goals. And they'll get power plays. It's... I absolutely think the Avs can win this, but it's not, not going to be as easy as we're accustomed to. Yeah, it's I mean, not going to be a cakewalk. If we're 50 seconds into the, the game tomorrow night and they call a penalty on the Avs, okay. That's tough. You know, Joe Pavelski's on the other side. We know what happens, you know. 
But you know what but, else what else happens when Dallas has power plays is they give up shorthanded goals. I mean, hey, it's not anti-hype to say that the Avs are going to have to work through it. it. That's what a mature team does is they work through adversity. But that's they... what you want instead of just hammering a team. I mean, hey, I'd love it if every game was a Brazil that that means no anxiety for me, but that's not what the playoffs are. The playoffs are about playing through adversity. So I'd get ready to expect some. My Just only, saying. my actual non-joke prediction is that JT Comfort will score a shorthanded goal. If not him, someone else on the ice with him. Because Dallas has Nieto? been giving those up in spades. I hope so too. From Long Beach. With a long reach. <laughs> That's an interesting parting shot. <laughs> I kind of wanted to stop the show right there. Um, so since we don't know when the next when when game two will be, let alone three or even four, it's really hard to predict when the next show will happen. Um, I can guarantee you it will be after game three. I would like it to be after game four. Um, but you can expect it you know, sometime next weekend. Hopefully we're not having to scramble on a Friday again, because this was, like, not ideal. <laughs> not an ideal situation for me, personally. Yeah, I found out at, like, 4.30. Yeah, I, I felt like they play on Sunday. Saturday's a... a like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> well, somebody but, has to. Yeah. Can I not be painting a house and actually watch these things? <laughs> Any last trapped in my office. <laughs> any last minute uh, predictions or anything before I shut this thing down because we've gone two hours. Landy will score a goal. God, I hope so. Wow! And he'll be onside. He better be. Oh. And Miko too. Miko's got to have a big series one of these days. So I'll predict Landy will score a goal, and this will be the Miko series. The cement leaves the hands. Nice. That's my prediction. My prediction is that they're going to put Zadorov back in front of the net again on the power play. <laughs> if that gets Boy, our show muted on, on the... SoundCloud, I'll be pissed. <laughs> All right, folks. Um, if Z's on the in, in front of the net on the power play again and gets another goal that way, then guess who's going to talk about it? Yeah, you're right. Um, so we'll be back, hopefully, um, at, a, at a more normal time for us, but it should be between games three and four, or four and five if necessary. This should be a much more enjoyable, even if it is a more frustrating series. I hope to see you all there, and uh, to my uh, to, to all the Dallas Stars fans I follow on Twitter, it, we're fighting. <laughs> it's on. You should like the Canes more. They're a good team. I do. I just can't watch them. <laughs> <laughs> you I'm, can I, after the fact. I'm, I'm officially over the fact that they were the Whalers, and that's horrible that they stole our team. But um, <laughs> I still can't watch them. <laughs> still blacked out.
can't yeah. watch. I can't watch the abs either. <laughs> Does it stop <laughs> you me? Pay eighty bucks a month. 